All right, all right. Let's turn in our Bibles to uh, the letter to the Romans. Uh, Romans chapter 7 is where we are. Romans chapter 7. When you're there, say, I'm there. It should be, uh, after after all this time of being in Romans, that, that, that your Bibles might just fall right open. Those of you who have uh, uh, hard copy paper Bibles, you just you just hold your Bible and it just falls flat right onto Romans because of uh, how, long, how long we've been in there so far. Romans chapter 7. I, I wasn't listening. And when you're there, say, I'm there. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, now, let's first off, before we read chapter 7, go back to verse uh, 15 of chapter 6. I just want to follow, help you follow the train of thought here. Here's the question. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves... You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now chapter 7, or do you not know brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she'll be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive 
so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Now let's pray that God would give us wisdom and understanding as we continue to unpack this passage and as we continue to uh, taste and see that our Lord is indeed good. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. The fact of the matter is, all of us who are honest in one way or another, we do continue in sin. And you have given us this message through the Apostle Paul so that we would no longer continue in sin, but that we would, as Paul said, bear fruit for you, our one true living God. And so, Father, I pray that we would think uh, Paul's thoughts after him as he is thinking and guided by your Holy Spirit. Lord, may your spirit guide us also, Lord. Teach us, shape us, help us, Lord, because we don't want to continue on in this direction. We want to walk in a manner worthy of Christ. We want to walk in the newness of life. So help us. Free us. Help us, Lord, to enjoy this freedom. If there is anyone that is here this morning that does not trust Christ as their Savior, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would open the eyes of their hearts, that they may behold wonderful things from these, your scriptures. May they see Jesus in your scriptures as he is the glorious one, the almighty one, the risen lamb. And Lord, I pray that they would turn away from their sin, which has no hope but death. And may they turn to Christ and enjoy forever the hope of eternal life in him. And we thank you for that. We ask big things because you're a big God and you're able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. So Father, have your way. Make your glories known. And Father, may we walk in the freedom that is ours in Christ Jesus. We thank you and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've been tracking over the last few weeks, Paul uh, recognizes uh, that, that this is a bit of an uncomfortable situation for all of us who believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, we have the freedom in Christ uh, 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 that, that, that he has given to us in his death and in his resurrection. And he specified from 6.15, Romans 6.15 on, uh, that that freedom is not just freedom from sin, but it's freedom from God's law. Okay, so God has stated his law in the scriptures, the first five books of the Old Testament. We call it the Pentateuch or the Torah uh, of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. And in there, God discloses his law for the people of Israel, for those who are in covenant with him. And Paul says, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are no longer under that law. And that's a really risky place, okay? These are risky truths. Think about it this way. If you were to say uh, to people in our, in our culture, which, is, which has happened, uh, you no longer have to, uh, uh, or it is no longer illegal for you uh, to smoke marijuana, okay? That, that's the law in, in many of our, our states now, that it is now legal. You are now free to do so. Most of us who understand human behavior bristle, right? 
We just kind of cringe when we hear that. Why? Because we know that just a little bit of freedom and people go crazy, don't they? How many of y'all are parents? How many of you know this very, very well? I don't know how many times I've said in my house, you give them an inch and what? They take a mile. Yeah, you give them an inch and they take a mile. Why? Because that's what we do with freedom. That's how our hearts act. We get a little bit of freedom and we say, I want it all. I'm taking it all. I'm kicking the door down and I'm getting as much as I possibly can. Well, if we take away God's law, which is meant to restrain us and constrain us uh, to righteousness and, and uses judgments and so on in order to give us the fear of God, if you will, so that we wouldn't dare walk in a manner that is unworthy of him because we don't want the consequences of doing so. If you take the law out of it, then people are going to go absolutely crazy wild. I mean, that's exactly what we do. And so Paul in this uh, section here from chapter six and going into chapter seven is answering the question of why is this not the case for Christians? Why, once you take the law out of the equation, will Christians actually walk more faithfully and walk more passionately and with more zeal towards righteousness and not in the opposite direction? The gospel is not a get out of hell free card. That's right. Do you get that? And true believers understand that. True believers get that. And they say, now that I've been set free, I don't want to live under the mastery of sin anymore. Now that I've been set free, I want to live wholeheartedly, full force towards God. And I want to know him. And I want to enjoy his fellowship. I, I want to love being loved by him forever. And I want to love being a part of his people, being in his family, standing side by side with brothers and sisters. This is what I was made for. I was made to enjoy fellowship with God and his people forever. That's the freedom of being a Christian. And we go in that direction. Now, why do we do that? Paul's been talking about this all throughout uh, these last couple of chapters, chapter six and chapter seven, okay? In chapter six, he gives two questions. I think these are different questions. One is a question of supply and the other is a question of status, okay? The supply question is, we don't continue uh, in sin that grace may abound. We, we don't increase our supply of grace by continuing to sin. That's not how this works, why? Because something fundamentally changed inside of us the moment that we became believers in Jesus Christ. The moment we started following him, we uh, uh, received his very life. Okay? Now, I, I got to clarify that because I don't think we understand just how far this goes. When we say that we have his life in us, we are saying that God has joined us to Christ in such a meaningful way that his life is now our lives. Okay? Which, which means this, as chapter 6 has told us, when Jesus died, we died because his life is our life. Okay? When Jesus was buried, we were buried because his life is our life. When Jesus rose, we rose because his life is our lives. It's not that, not just merely that we have a new identity, but rather we have a new life. 
Okay? Uh, Paul would say it this way in Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ. Y'all know this verse? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Paul is saying, hey, you know me? The me I used to be? The me that was going around looking for Christians? I had a, I had a warrant for their arrest and I was going, kicking down doors, dragging them out of their homes, throwing them into the court so they could be uh, uh, tried and convicted and executed. Yeah, that Paul that we're talking about does not live anymore. He died. He's gone. Okay? It is no longer I who live. Okay, but, but Paul, you are literally writing this letter. Okay? Um, you, are, you are talking to us right now. So if Paul died, uh, who's talking to us right now? And why are you talking in Paul's body? Right? Who, who is this guy? If he is not Paul, who is he? He says, it is no longer I who live, but what? Christ. Christ lives in me. Do you see what he's saying here? I now am uh, consumed, wrapped up into the life of Christ. I'm still me, but I'm a new me. The old me is gone. I'm a new Paul. And you can say that if you are a believer in Christ, you can say that right now. If you believe in Christ, just say, just repeat after me. Say the, and, and say your name, uh, the blank that I once was, say is gone. And a new fill in the blank is here. <laughs> There's some of you who are struggling to say your names. Um, <laughs> this is going to be a long day. Um, but and, and, and last part, Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. The me that I was is gone. Christ now lives in me. And Paul says, if that's the case, then you don't continue on to sin. The person that would think that yeah, I would continue on to sin, that, that smart aleck, you know, sinner that would just look for every opportunity, the one that would take the mile whenever he gets an inch, gone. Amen. He's dead. She's dead. No longer here. Died and was buried with Jesus. Amen. Okay? The second part is dealing with, uh, with your status. Shall we continue in sin since we're no longer under law, but now we're under grace? And he says, no. Because just as you were under law, you were a slave to sin and you presented your members as the slave that you were to unrighteousness, receiving the wage of death, the paycheck of death. Now you are a believer in Christ and you have been set free now to present your body, present your members as slaves to righteousness and with the reward, the gift of God, which is eternal life. Not a wage that you work for, a gift that he so graciously gives to you. You don't continue in sin because you have a new status, because once again, it's not a mile that you take. You don't do that anymore. You are a slave now of a new master, one who loves you, one who is gracious to you, one who will never let you go, one who will only give you kindness forever. This one is our God, okay? So that's half of the answer to that question. Shall we continue to sin that uh, now that we're no longer under law, but under grace? That's the first half of it. Now, this week and next, we're going to be looking at the second half of this, uh, of, of the answer here. And I say that because notice what he says in, in 6, 16, chapter 6, verse 16. Notice he begins it with the question, 
Do you not know? Do you see that there? Do you not know? Okay. And then notice in seven, chapter seven, verse one, he says, or do you not know? So these are really two parts of this, of this answer here. We don't sin now that we're no longer under law, but under grace. One, because we're no longer slaves to sin, we are now slaves to God. And so we present our members as slaves for righteousness, not for unrighteousness. That's the first part of the answer. And now the second part of the answer has to do with the law. Look at what he says, 7-1. Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking of those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? Okay, That's what he's going to uh, demonstrate here. That a person is uh, uh, bound to the law only as long as he lives. The law is binding only as long as you are alive, okay? Now, I'm going to give you a little sneak peek. Sorry, Pastor Sean. I'm going to give you a little sneak peek into next week because in verse 4, he says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who's been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. The point that he's making is, the law is only binding as long as you are alive. Good news, you died. See, you died. And so the law is no longer binding to you because you died, you're a new person. And now that you, are, uh, now that you have died with Christ, you are free from the law to live in a new way. What he says later on is the way of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 6. So that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. You have a new life. You're no longer under the law because you died to the law. Okay? And now you can walk in a new way. Now, today we're going to look at the analogy that Paul uses to demonstrate that point. And the reason we're going to spend today looking at just that is it's controversial in these streets, okay? <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a little rough, all right? The, the analogy that he uses is the analogy of marriage. And the reason that it is a little controversial is that pretty much everything that Paul says in this passage and everything that he even implies in this passage is under attack in our society. Every single part. Okay? So if this analogy is going to do its job, we have to agree that the analogy is true. Right? The analogy doesn't work if we disagree with the analogy. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at the analogy and I pray, by God's grace, that we come to an agreement that what Paul says in the analogy is, in fact, true. And it is God's design. And this is the way that God made marriage. Okay? Now, I'm going to read the first uh, three verses here. And then having read the first three verses, then I'm just going to explain some of the implications, some of the things that we, that we learn from marriage, uh, learn from the scriptures about marriage in here. Okay? So look again. Verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. 
Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Now, there is much that we can learn here about marriage and God's plan for marriage. And as we look at these things, hopefully we'll start to understand why this analogy works as well as it does. Okay? So here's some things to see here that we can learn about marriage just from these three verses. First off, understand marriage is God created. Okay? Marriage is God created. Why do I say that? Well, because he says here that a woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. Okay? Now you can hear that and you go, yeah, you know, the laws of the land. The law of the Constitution, right? Uh, you are bound. You know, you 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 uh, went down to uh, the the the, uh, the state capitol. Uh, you went and got your marriage license, your your little certificate. You signed your name on it. You know, and and your uh, uh, soon to be your fiance uh, signed that uh, their name on it and everything. And then you you know, filed it. Oh oh, and and the pastor, the guy who officiates the wedding signed his name on it as well, and then you give it back and you say, there we go, we're married, ta-da. Now, that's the law of the land. That's not what Paul's talking about here, okay? That's not what he's talking about here. Here, what he's talking about is the law of God. This here is about the law of God. God is the one who establishes marriage. God is the one who brings uh, uh, people together in marriage, as we even heard from the Lord Jesus himself in the book of Matthew, what God has brought together, let no one separate. Even go all the way back to Eden, the first marriage. Uh, remember, God said, it's not good the man should be alone. I'm going to make a, a helper suitable for him. Whenever I teach this in my Old Testament uh, survey class, I, I stop the class right there and I say, all right, now I want you to look at each other. Everybody look at each other. And y'all can do that here too. Look at every, look at everybody around here. All right. And, um, and, and notice in here that there are two genders. All right. Two God-given genders. We have males here and we have females here. And of the two genders, one of us needs help. <laughs> It's biblical. Did you see that? Genesis 2. It's not good that a man should be alone. I'm going to make a helper. God looking at us, God goes, oh boy. <laughs> Bro, man's going to need something. And so and so, what does he do? He puts him to sleep. He takes a, 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 a rib from his side. He fashions her together. He brings her to him. And he looks and wakes up and he goes, whoa, man. And that's exactly how we got woman. And so uh, in the Hebrew in there, Isha, she shall be called Isha because she was taken from Ish. She shall be called female because she was taken from male. She shall be called woman because she was taken from man. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. In my class, I break out into Etta James because that's exactly what Adam does. At last, my love has come along. My lonely days are over and life is like a song. That's exactly what he did there in Genesis 2. And then it says, therefore, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. God made this. A little implication. 
and I know I'm we're we're up, up close to uh, uh, to our our state capital and uh, the the powers that be down the road. If this is God given, then there is absolutely nothing the state can do to redefine it. Can I say that here? This is not for the state to define because the state didn't make it up. It doesn't belong to the state. It belongs to the creator. And as God has created marriage, God says, this is the way that I want the marriage to be. Every single one of us who has been married, every single one of us who will be married, you answer to God for how your marriage uh, uh, functions and how your marriage is structured. So first off, understand this is, as he says here, by law, namely by the law of God. This is God's institution. First thing. Second thing, recognize that God designed marriage to be heterosexual. For he says there in verse 2, a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Okay? And he goes on. If she, verse 3, lives with another man while her husband is alive. And verse uh, uh, later on there, if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Do you notice any 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 uh, uh, any other options besides he and she here? Okay, this is meant to be a heterosexual union. All right, husband, wife, man, woman, coming together by God into this marriage relationship. God designed for. Uh, for me now, November will be 17 years uh, that Annie and I have been married. And uh, yeah, I know God is incredibly gracious uh, to me. Um, I, I, I guess you can say he's been gracious to her, uh, but, but, but I seriously, seriously have the, the lion's share of grace. Um, uh, uh, or at least she has uh, 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 the lion's share of grace you know, to give to me for all of my idiosyncrasies and stupidities. Um, and I'm only saying this because she's live streaming right now. And, uh, <laughs> but, but God brought us together. Here we were in college and I saw her and she saw me. And, and I remember I saw her and my first words were, she's strange. And, and her first words uh, apparently about me was, what a nerd. And, and somehow, by the grace of God, he brought us together. In marriage, I am a horrible wife and mother. All right? One, I've never born any kids. Um, it's not possible for me to do so. Uh, and, and I can be, you know, kind, and I can be gracious, and I can be compassionate and everything. But why? I mean, it's just so much more fun to be, you know, the, the bad cop. I mean, it's just, it's great, you know. And, and here's, here's Annie. And Annie, you know, she is, you know, uh, the nurturer. She's the one, you know, when they have cuts and everything, they never come to me. 
You know, why? Because they, they know what they're going to get. They're going to get, you know, suck it up and, <laughs> you know, go play. Where she's going to come and she's going to hug them and she's going to kiss on the little boo-boo. I mean, you know, we've got, we've got teenagers and she's still kissing boo-boos and, 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 and all of this. Why? Because that's her. That's just, that's who she is. Okay? And that's who I am. And somehow this was made in God's grace to complement each other. We were made to complement each other, okay? That's not a dirty word. That's God's grace. That's God's mercy. Do we do it perfectly? No, not even close. But as we walk together in God's grace and as we serve one another and as we seek to walk in the spirit and love like Christ, it's beautiful. It's beautiful how God made me and it's beautiful how God made her. Now, it may not work exactly the same way in your home and all that. That's perfectly fine. But for those of you who have been, uh, uh, who are married and who are walking together in marriage, God made you for her and God made her for you. God made him, the husband, for his bride and the bride for her husband. And in God's grace, as we walk together in the love of Christ, that's beautiful. It's beautiful. So God, uh, marriage is God created, and God created marriage to be heterosexual. Notice also God created marriage to be monogamous. God created marriage to be monogamous. As he says here, verse 2, a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, for if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. And please don't think that Paul's just picking on wives here. This is the standard for husbands and wives here. If you are married and you have affections for someone other than your spouse, even to the point here that he says that, you, that, that she would live with that other man, while her husband is still alive, the Lord calls that adultery. It's adultery. Jesus uh, uh, shows us how high that standard is. Jesus says if you look lustfully at someone that is not your spouse, not your husband, not your wife, he says that you have committed adultery in your heart. You've got to deal with that. You've got you've to deal with that because that's the standard that God has given now, why is that the standard that God has given? And he doesn't say it here in Romans, but he does say it in uh, Ephesians chapter 5. And for sake of time, we won't go there. But I want to show you uh, uh, and, and, and tell you why this is the case. And it's the case because marriage is meant to be a picture. Marriage is meant to replicate the relationship of Christ to his bride, the church. I remember when I was when I was younger, and yes, this was an illustration of uh, uh, from back when I was younger. This isn't a current illustration, uh, but I remember when I was a kid, I used to love. Actually, this is current. I used to love uh, uh, old shows like The A Team and uh, and Knight Rider uh, and 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 all of these. And and I remember when I was a kid, uh, for Christmas, I wanted a little you know Mr. T and the little A-Team van, and I wanted Michael Knight, and I wanted Kit, because because it's awesome. I mean, there really is no other word, it's just awesome, okay? 
And, and this was me growing up. Millennials and, and under, I'm sorry. You know, uh, uh, you know, you guys just didn't get to experience greatness like we did uh, back in the day. But, but, but work with us just for now. And, and, and so Christmas came around. And wouldn't you know, I opened up my, my boxes and I got my Mr. T and I got the A-Team van and I got Michael Knight and I got Kit. And I thought that that was the most amazing thing on earth. And I'm going around saying, I have Michael Knight and I have Kit and I'm driving him around and everything, you know, you know, and all that. And I'm having a great old time. Now, here's the thing. It wasn't Michael Knight. I did not get David Hasselhoff. All right. He did not show up at my door or anything like that. What I got was a replica of him. And so long as I had the replica of him, I could at least in my mind imagine what it was like to have Michael Knight right there in my house, you know, and, and, and Kit driving around talking to me and jumping, you know, over, you know, semis and all of that because it was really cool. We as husbands and wives are action figures, if you will. We are meant to replicate the relationship of Christ to the church. Now we aren't Christ and his church. We are members of his church, of course, but, but we aren't Christ and his church in the, in the fullest sense. But when we function together and live together in marriage as husbands and wives, as God intended us, we are able to stir people's imaginations of what it must be like to be in that relationship with Christ and his bride. That's what we're supposed to be. So when we turn our affection away from each other and turn towards someone else, in a very real sense, we are preaching a different gospel. Our marriages are functionally preaching a different gospel. Our marriages are functionally false teaching. Why? Because Christ only has this kind of love and affection for his bride. Jesus laid down his life for his bride, it says. Jesus came as Matthew, as uh, uh, Gabriel said to, uh, uh, to Joseph in Matthew 1. He came to save his people from her sins. He loves her and he lays down his life for her. And he only has eyes for his bride. And in much the same way, God has commanded for the church only to have eyes for Christ. You don't turn to another savior. You don't turn to another Lord. You don't worship other gods. You only serve Jesus and him alone. He is the head of this household. He is our great and only Lord. So you in marriage, you, God designed you to have love and affection for your bride husbands and for her alone, for your husband's brides and for him alone. Because this is meant to be a picture for the world of the relationship, the lovely bond between Christ and his church. God created marriage. He created marriage to be heterosexual. He created marriage to be monogamous. And he created marriage to be lifelong. Where he says here in verse three, or in verse two, that if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. And accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. 
But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. One of the hardest realities in marriage is that one of you will outlive the other. One of you will come to a point in life where you will have to bury the other. And Paul says it's at that point that marriage has ceased. You are now free to marry another. You are now free to have affections, uh, uh, marital affections for someone else. It is only then. So Paul is not against remarriage in that sense. Uh, Paul is not against uh, 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 you know, widow, uh, widows and so on going and marrying another. As long as he lives, or as long as she lives, you that bond is still there before the eyes of God. Now, of course, this brings questions. I wish I had time for this, uh, to answer different questions as regarding divorce and as regarding remarriage and all of these different things. And we can say from the scriptures, it's complicated, right? It's complicated. There is one implication from this, and, and I believe that each of our elders are in agreement with this, that when there is some type of conflict in the marriage relationship, we are going to fight for your marriage. We are going to fight for you. Why? Because God fights for you. We want to fight not with him in conflict, but we want to join him in the fight for your marriage that you would stay together, stay side by side till death. Now we also understand the realities of this fallen world and we understand the struggles and we understand that there may be certain things that may come up, unusual circumstances, if you will, where it may be best for you to be apart for some time. It may be best for you to, to separate for some time. But that is not the ideal and that is not the standard. And we will, by God's grace, fight for you as hard as we possibly can that you may stay together and that what God, as the Lord Jesus said, what God has brought together, no one would separate. So this is what we see here in the scriptures. We see uh, that uh, the marriage is, is given to us by God, bound by his law. We see here that marriage is heterosexual. We see here that marriage is monogamous, and we see here that marriage is lifelong. And that's why Paul can say here, uh, and, uh, and use this analogy here, that the law is binding on a person as long as he lives. And once that is done, just like in marriage, once you have died, now the bond has, uh, is, is, uh, is, is done, the, the, the relationship has ended, and now you are free, having died to the law, uh, there is now, or now that there's death uh, to the law, there is now freedom for you to live uh, in another way, okay? My prayer for each of us, as we stop and consider marriage, is that you would look at yourselves, uh, those of you who are married, that you would say, uh, that you would do some inventory. Say, Lord, how are we doing? Spirit, examine us. 
Examine our hearts. Examine our lives. Husbands, as Paul would say in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, and, and even Peter would jump in in 1 Peter 3, you ask the question, do I love my bride as Christ loves the church? Am I willing at any moment, day by day, to lay down my life for her? As, as Peter would say in 1 Peter 3, do I live with her in an understanding way, honoring her as a weaker vessel? Not necessarily weak in terms of her strength and things like that, but weak like fine china, like porcelain. Do, you know, I, don't, I don't treat her like a Dixie cup, but I treat her like she's fine china. I care for her. I, I treat her with care. I handle her with care because she's precious you treat her as an heir, a fellow heir of the grace of life. Peter would go on to say that if this is not true of you, your prayers may be hindered. Husbands, this is your standard. Love her like Jesus. Honor her as a fellow heir of the grace of life, or God might press the mute button on you. God forbid. Wives, do you live with your husbands, trusting their leadership, submitting to them? Do you pray for them, as Paul, as Peter would say in First Peter three? Do you do you constantly bring them to the Lord in prayer and and ask for God's grace on them? Do you, uh, uh, husbands and wives, cherish one another? Do you, do you keep the accounts uh, uh, short? <laughs> do, do, you, do you not uh, 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 let your, uh, the sun go down on your anger or, or anything like that, but do you seek uh, some type of reconciliation? Do you love each other? Do you model out for the world Christ's love for his church? For those of you who are aspiring to get married, how are you doing right now? Are you seeking to live in a Christ-like way? Are you developing gifts and, and, and character of service and grace and humility? Do you lay down your life for others or, or are you constantly demanding others lay down their lives for you? Do you live lives of humility? Why? Because this is what marriage looks like. And even far beyond that, because this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. We must ask ourselves, are we living in such a way that this analogy here in Romans 7 makes any sense at all? If so, then we can rest assured by God's grace that we are living out the gospel truths that he is saying to us right here in Romans 6 and Romans 7. If I can give another application. When Paul says, shall we continue in sin? <laughs> uh, please understand that he even means in the context of marriage. Don't use your marriage as an excuse to continue in sin. But rather, use your marriage as uh, an arena, if you will, where you can live out your union with Christ. Show your spouse who you belong to. 
Show her that you have died to your sin and you are alive to God. Show her that you have been joined to Christ and now you walk in the newness of his life. Show your spouse that you are a, a no longer a slave to unrighteousness, but now a slave to God walking in his righteousness. Use your marriage as an arena, husbands and wives, to show that you are dead to sin and you are alive to God in Christ Jesus. And my prayer is that for your children, and for your neighbors, and even for the world, they may see something of the beauty of God, the beauty of his son, and the beauty of his bride, the church, by the way that you live together in marriage, till death do you part. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we need your help. There are some, Lord, I know right now that are going through uh, some significant uh, trials. It's tough. In this fallen world with our hearts, Lord, it's tough. I pray, Lord, that your word would, would be a grace to them. Would be a grace to us all. Lord, all of us can look at our marriages and we realize that we are nowhere close uh, to modeling Christ in the church. We need your spirit and we need your grace. Help us, Lord, to love each other well. Help us to forgive well. Help us, Lord, to walk in a manner worthy of Christ, even in our homes. Father, I pray that you would bring reconciliation where there is already brokenness and separation. Father, I pray that you who brought us together, every marriage here can say that, truly, you brought us all together. Lord, I pray that you would be the one to keep us together by your grace and for your glory. Father, raise up among us here at TCC even more who walk in your wisdom and in your grace to counsel one another and disciple one another that every single marriage here would be walking in a healthy manner for your glory. And we thank you. And we thank you, Father, for this great truth that if we have died to the law, we are free from the law. And so we are able to walk in the newness of the Spirit in the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for this great truth. May we live it well by your spirit, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.